ladies and gentlemen, I'm delighted to be back with another uh, angle of presentation of my recent book uh, in which I interview Russia's greatest poet, Alexander Pushkin, in particular, carrying on a dialogue, a colloquy, a conversation between uh, uh, me and his novel in verse called Eugene Onegin. For every sonnet he wrote, I wrote one in reply. Uh, this is, by the way, here's the book. You can see the portraits of me and Pushkin. It's a, it's a one in a, in a series of interview books. I seem to have uh, invented this genre. One of the earliest was this one, Shakespeare, in which you see me and Shakespeare lined up here. Basically, I took his 154 sonnets and wrote Shakespearean sonnet replies to them. And then another good example is uh, Rilke's Art of Metrical Melody. Here I have translated from Rainer Maria Rilke his Poems Book 1 and Book 2 from 1908 and 9. So you see, I interviewed Shakespeare. I interviewed Rilke. Why not now interview Pushkin? Now, I'll give you a sample of how I feel, but, I, but what I'm going to do tonight that I didn't do last time, last time was devoted to uh, um, presenting some sample conversations between Pushkin and me, his novel in sonnets and my sonnet replies. I gave uh, about 12 or 15 of those. Uh, but tonight I want to show you something very special about this edition, this particular interview. I have interpolated a lot of translations that I've made of my very favorite Pushkin original short lyrics. And uh, what put me in the mood for that was the uh, recollection of what fun I had uh, doing the same sort of thing in collaboration with William Shakespeare. So, here we go. I wrote a little thing called Collocutor's Preface. I'm the collocutor, not just the translator, but the conversationalist, the interviewer. Akhmatova, Sinyavsky, and some others have discovered ways to grant to Pushkin tributes grand while proffering critique and praise. I have a new technique at hand that answers to my least command. My instrument in English plays the poet's tune. A second phase, I'll add, implicit ampersand will link his thought to mine. I'll phrase a quick rely. A quick reply, a question raise, add comment rich in spice or bland, with sonnets fill my nights and days, admonish, solace, and amaze. You'll notice the tempo is rather rapid here, a little faster than Shakespeare. Uh, he wrote in uh, iambic pentameter, and one and two and three and four and five. Um, Pushkin writes in four beats, and one and two and three and four. Hmm. Okay, uh, so, through time I've been a traveler. In class with Will at Stratford High, my lyrics were the harbinger of this Anyagin. He and I would sonnets trade while slower lads their Latin would construe. What glads my heart remembering again is when we both were grown-up men, his sonnets, 154, occasion lent for long review of what I've learned in friendship. 
Who would not respond? An open door. I took each lyric he had writ and wrote a rich reply to it. Friend Will, you helped me quite a bit. With Alexander, I'll indite a similar reply book, fit for those who liked what then I'd write. Of course I'll need to render first what Alexander sweetly versed, but after that I'm on my own, a quirky person having grown in threescore years and double seven. Whatever thought I entertain, will Hades lift to heaven gain, for loving levity may leaven whatever Alex lends to me, and lighten up sobriety. In prefatory sonnet four, from heady Shakespeare, let me turn to you, dear Alexander. More than all I've yet achieved, I yearn to sing in my duets with you. Plaint, pastoral, or a hallelujah, a memoir, narrative, or hymn, or whatsoever else with vim you may propose and I accept. Our rhythm and our rhymes let free affection gather avidly. Well guided are the sonnet prepped, and offer to the reader of today a taste of what we love. Now, I borrowed the mood of that from Pushkin's own writing. He's very often, I think he's a guy who like me, may have uh, happy brain chemicals. I don't suffer from uh, mood swings or uh, uh, bipolar uh, syndrome, but or maybe he, he's more like that because a lot of his writings are sad. Uh, I won't uh, uh, appropriate him too much into a, a mentality when biographically speaking. I will let the poems speak for themselves. Now, here's one, though, that is very sunny in its mood, all about the delights of getting up on a winter morning. And it's called appropriately Winter Morning. The frost, the sun, a day disarming, yet still you doze, companion charming. It's time that you awoke, my dear, eyes open to the morning aura. Let's hail the northerly aurora, you as the northern star appear. Last night, remember? Maelstrom swirling, in troubled sky the haze a-whirling, the moon a pallid patch, not bright, mid darkened clouds a yellow shining, while you sat melancholy, pining. But look, behold, the window light, the azure blue of heaven, tender in oriental carpet splendor, and gleaming in the sun, the snow. A see-through forest only darkens. The rhyme-strewn verdant willow hearkens. Beneath the ice the waters flow. In amber glow the room will greet us. The happy crackling stove will meet us. Fine warmth prepared and ready now. The stove couch, too, is comforting. But Shouldn't we the harness fling on dark brown mare, if she'll allow? Along the morning snowpath sliding, dear friend, we'll like the sleigh-ride, guiding the restive, the impatient steed, and visit empty fields in snow, the forest, thick not long ago, the shoreline that I love indeed. That would be the shoreline of the River Neva, uh, which flows through Petersburg, and which he talks about a lot in his verse novel. 
Okay, so that gives you a mood. Now let's see. Oh, let's try on uh, another poem that he writes to uh, show, uh, shall we say, the uh, the sanguine side of his character, the cheerful aspect of his personality. Here, basing himself on a poem by Horus, uh, Horus in uh, ancient Rome, ex egi monumentum aere perennius, I have built myself a monument more lasting than bronze, he writes uh, his own poem on this theme, uh, basically congratulating himself on his career of poetic inclusivity. All the ethnicities, all the cultural tra traditions are, are to be unified in harmonious welcome. I built myself a monument not made with hands. The people's path to it will not be overgrown. Atop the Alexander Column tall it stands, unhumbled and alone. No, I'll not wholly die, for by the treasured lyre my dust will be alive and no corruption, no. I'll gloried be so long as one true poet's fire is gleaming here below. My fame will soon be spread through all of Russia great, and every tongue within that realm will speak of me. Proud grandchild Slav, or Finn, Tungus in wilder state, or Kalmuk, step-friend free. And I will ever be more cherished by the folk, because in this my cruel epoch I would prize the free, good feeling with my kindly lyre awoke, and for the fallen sighs. To this divine command submit, muse, willingly. You hold no fear of injury, you need no wreath. Take laurel, slander take, with equanimity, regard not fools beneath. Well, all right, that gives you uh, a nice positive uh, viewpoint of uh, his career and life as he reviews them. Now here I'd like to try something rather different. This is a very interesting poem. It's written in terza rima, that is A, B, A, B, C, B, C, D, C. That means third rhyme. The, the first rhyme always rhymes with the third rhyme in any three-line group. And that the benefit of that is that it, in, uh, it emphasizes uh, uh, Dante's uh, wish to get a feeling of the pervasiveness of the idea of the Trinity throughout his medieval Christian poem. But this has become uh, a kind of... Um, uh, uh, seal of uh, identification for solemn odes that have something like a Dantescan uh, grandeur or the hope of such. This, however, what's interesting about it is that this solemn ode is nothing more, let's say nothing less, than a childhood memoir. He writes about school. He, his feelings about those times are not at all what you'd uh, expect, I think. And this is one of the most moving poems. He, it, it's a really rather a chilling poem in some ways. It's quite startling. Let's put it that way. Here we go. Earliest memories return to me. So many carefree children in the school. We were a rough, unruly family. One teacher 
using mildness for a tool, though looking humble in a homely dress, majestically would affirm her rule. Surrounded by a crowd of us, no less would she continue speaking calmly, sweetly, serenely chatting, bland impassiveness. Yet I can see her head shawl, knotted neatly, her clear and pure blue eyes more bright than sky. But from her talk I'd turn away discreetly. I found that I was irritated by the brow austere, the tranquil lips and glance, and most of all, the holy talk so hard. To wish away the calm of countenance, I'd stubbornly distort her every saying, evading all the plain significance, and often stealthily attempted straying within the nearby garden's glory gloom, beneath its arch of porphyry delaying. The coolness of the shadows gave me room to roam within my dream, so comforting, so deep the pleasure, thoughts began to bloom. I liked still waters, leafy whispering, the pallid idols in the greening shade, immobile thought, each face emboldening. All that the sculptor had in marble made, lyre, sword, scroll, compass, held in hands of white, the head enreaved, on shoulder, mantle laid, details that made a sweet, uncertain fright invade my heart. The wet of inspiration would fill the eye, so moving was their might. Two statues of miraculous formation, of magic beauty, over me would tower. Two demons, glancing down from lofty station. The first, the Delphic idol, full in flower of youth, replete in wrath and awful pride, he seethed with alien, otherworldly power. The other was a female deified, sense-driven, doubtful, and duplicitous, enchantress demon, not to be denied. Before them I would stand oblivious, while Young, my heart kept pounding, and a chill passed over me. My hair stood up. I was by hunger dark tormented for the thrill of unknown bliss. Lost hope and apathy enchained me, useless in my youth, until I took to living lonely, silently, in bitter brooding, 
for the garden idols had cast their spirit shadows over me. I remember at a, a class, I was taking a master's degree in Russian at Harvard, and I remember the professor uh, distributed this poem to us on the first day of class without comment and asked us, except to ask us to read it. And then we had quite a discussion. However, I'm not going to talk further about it. My idea is to present to you Pushkin, not me. So let's try one of his other uh, quite extraordinary talents. Um, Ballad writing, story poems, nice and short and singable, like uh, like um, the ballads you perhaps used to sing, Barbary Ellen or John Henry. Once there lived a simple knight. He was silent. He was poor, ever grave with visage white, bold and brave and straight and sure. He maintained a single vision, unattainable by thought. Gravely had that sole decision in his heart an image wrought. Near a cross, when once he'd been to Geneva traveling, Mary Virgin had he seen, mother pure of Christ the King. Ever after, spirit burning, he declined to cast a glance at a living woman, yearning never turned his countenance. To the nightly visor, never from his face would he remove. Rosary would be forever single emblem of his love. Not the father, not the son, nor the Holy Ghost would he favor with his thanks. He won fame for singularity. All night long he venerated Theodule, her icon pure, gazing sorrowfully, fated, tearful dolor to endure. Piously to her he kneeled, faith and charity imbibed. Mater Dei, Ave, he on a shield in blood inscribed. Should his fellow paladin on the plains of Palestine seek a sacred fame to win, shouting names of ladies fine, Light of heaven, holy rose, cried the knight with soul aflame, fright into the heart of foes entered whom none else might tame. Lonely to his home returned, he would rest, and there abide silent, while a sorrow burned, then yet unabsolved, he died. While the paladin was dying, came the evil spirit fell, planning craftily and trying hard to hail his soul to hell. 
He had slighted heaven's king, neither fasted nor confessed, and his way of following Mary, how could that be blessed? Yet Our Lady, free of sin, interceded for her son. She would let her paladin to the happy kingdom come. That gives a depth there, doesn't it, to, to uh, the Pushkin persona and to his range and scope of thought that impressed Dostoevsky. The novelist Dostoevsky uh, considered Pushkin to be his uh, favorite poet and the most universal of Russian poets. Now, I'd like to turn last, uh, uh, lastly for Pushkin. I might give you a couple of samples of his disciple Lermontov, but the main thing uh, by Pushkin uh, that I wish to, con to, to concentrate on uh, as my concluding offering from him is this poem that I memorized when I was majoring in Russian at Indiana University as a teenager. I memorized it then. I've got still a couple of stanzas in my mind, and I can give them to you after the poem is over so you can see how glorious the original is. This stamped itself on my mind as the example preeminently of, of Pushkin's incomparable poetic power. Uh, it's an astonishing thing. It's a song from his uh, mini-play, almost a micro-play. He wrote four things that he called little tragedies. Mozart and Salieri was one, and... Uh, um, Schaffer uh, incorporated practically the whole thing into his play Amadeus, though he wouldn't admit it. Feast in Time of Plague is one of the four mini-dramas, and uh, Pushkin wrote this song as part of the play. When wilding winter in her might, as valiant captain leads the fight, the shagged militia troops are snows and storm and frost by night and day. But crackling hearth may cold oppose with wintry heat the feast made gay. The queen of threat in mocking crown, the plague herself to us comes down, appealing heaped up harvest great. Through thinnest window, day and night. What now? What aid? We see our fates. We hear the graveyard spade in fright. As from the winter's cruel play, from plague, let's lock ourselves away. We'll light the fire, the goblet fill, all heedlessly to drown our thought. At banquets and in ballrooms, mill about, praise plague queen as we ought. There is a drunkenness in fight, in prospect of the pit of night. In seething waves of ocean main, In stormy waters darkness vague, In crazed Arabian hurricane, And in the breathing of the plague. Whatever menace threatens death, Will hold for mortal heart and breath Delights we never can explain. 
a pledge, perhaps, of deathless life? And happy he who'll brave the pain to find and know them in that strife. And so to you, O plague, all praise, we fearless face the end of days. Here unappalled your call of death, we foam the goblets up their filled drink friendly of the rose-made breath that well may be with plague instilled. Упоение в бою и бездны мрачной на краю, И в разъяренном океане, Среди грозных волн и бурной тьмы, И в равийском урагане, И в дуновении чумы. Итак, хвала тебе, Чума. Нам не страшна могила и тьма, Нас не смутит твое призвание. Бокалы пеним дружно мы, И дьявол розы пьем дыхание. Быть может, полная чумы! Well, those were my favorites, the ones that impressed themselves on my mind as a teenager, and which I've been reciting since then. Uh, they were the antepenultimate and the concluding stanzas of the poem. Now, for my final offering, I've decided I will give you something of a little change in, uh, in mood and also in poet. Uh, I'd like very much, this is my uh, happy brain chemicals, I like to end uh, I won't say on an upbeat. You can't end a piece on an upbeat because then it wouldn't be an upbeat anymore. People use that word very irresponsibly. But uh, here, to get back to the subject, I would like to show you uh, a sample of the work of Pushkin's disciple, Mikhail Lermontov. This is apropos of some um, of a performance in Onegin where uh, a young woman, perhaps trying to... Uh, make a nice impression on a possible suitor for her hand in marriage, uh, is performing a song about a mermaid. Uh, that's a, a rather malign mermaid, but here you have a, a much more lovable mermaid in the, in the writing of Lermontov. He writes a poem called Mermaid, and then there's a poet a hundred years later named Balmont, another favorite of mine, uh, and he writes a reply poem on the mermaid, and then I'll briefly comment on them in a short concluding verse. Here we go. A mermaid, she glides on the moonlighted stream of the river, wide bright as a dream, and the splash of her swimming, the sky-reaching spray, will reflect every silvery ray. Loud sounding and whirling, the current will stir all the cloud forms in mirroring whir. As the mermaiden sings, craggy cliffs on the shore make the melody echo the more. The mermaid is singing, 
the water deeps hold amid fast fleeting glimmering gold of daylight not gone fish in numbers untold over cities of crystalline cold and there pillowed gently on sand jewel bright under shade of thick reeds of vast height lies a warrior sleeping the jealous waves pray a lord from a land far away we love to comb out in the calm of the night cool curls smoother than silk and the sight of that brow and those lips lovely comely to kiss oh the blessing the heavenly bliss but to all of our loving I cannot tell why he so cold will decline to reply not a word he is still when he slept on my breast not a whisper no breath broke his rest. So murmurs the maid by the bright shining stream. Unappeasable sorrow would seem To bewilder the waves while the currents bestir All the cloud forms in mirroring whirr. Here's uh, the reply, if you like. It's another poem on mermaids by Constantine Balmont. Balmont, it's a lot shorter, and it's a different mood entirely. Well then, catch if you can. Freely take, and with ease. You're unique among humans. You know how to please. Till you finally came, I was freezing and pale. From the deep and the quiet, the shade do I hail. Slower, slower. The moon's getting warmer tonight. Young and growing, you see? "'Tis enkindled with light, with a waft of blue mist. "'Well, then, kiss, are you mine? "'Here and here, yes, and here, ah, with you it's divine!' "'Here's my concluding reply to Balmont's Mermaid. "'I waked in a happy oracular mood, "'all my rhythmical limbs with a music endued, "'and I knew that the hurried be favoring me "'when I chanced on a magical page, "'and, you see, it has happened, of course, "'the auroral, the roar, spurred the anapest gallop, "'an eagle to soar, made the cold of the ocean "'turn heat in my blood, gave the horses of morning "'a thundering thug!' 